Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is live show number 32 where me and Dan primarily talk about the Buckeye shot in Wisconsin uh, during the Battle of the Bows a couple weeks ago. Uh, but we get into a whole bunch of interesting stuff like Dan talks about how he's struggling a little bit with his archery skills and some of the bad luck he's had recently getting a buck on the ground. Also, we talked about if stealth strips stink, so you won't want to miss this one at all. Uh, but before we get into the episode, got to thank a couple of my sponsors. If you're like me, you don't really have time to wait till Black Friday uh, for savings, right? Uh, that's why Exodus decided to run a very limited sale now to help you. Black Friday, dang near deer season is over, so it's a good thing they have this sale right now. So starting right now, you can save 27% on any render bundle by using the code RUT20. That's uppercase R-U-T-2-7. This is the biggest savings Exodus has ever offered to, uh, to anybody in the industry. Um, they don't really anticipate it lasting very long. Um, if you're not familiar with the Exodus product line, the, the Exodus render is the Verizon 4G LTE camera that works with any connected devices and provides some of the fastest transmission times in the entire industry. On top of that, it's as user-friendly as it gets. It comes with the Exodus Advantage, which the Exodus Advantage is the five-year no BS warranty, five-year theft and damage protection, uh, and then lastly, the best in-class customer service. So if you're wanting to get yourself an Exodus render, right now is a great time to save 27% on a render bundle by using the code RUT27. Also, want to thank Lou from Stealth Outdoors. They got some pretty cool new products. Um, they're coming out with a line from Natural Gear Camo, which looks pretty cool. I think Lou's going to send me some of that to show you guys on uh, the live stream sometime. Uh, my favorite product from Stealth Outdoors is the Buckle Silencers, hands down. If you don't buy anything else, buy the Buckle Silencers. Um, you know you're buying it from a great, great guy and a great company. So visit StealthOutdoors.com and get you some stealth strips. Also, real quick, want to thank Hunting Beast Gear. I've had a heck of a season this year, and every single deer I've killed this year has been out of my beast stand. Um, the the beast sticks um, are awesome. I just I just got a buddy a set of them, and um, he went from a, another brand to this one, and it's just he's like, I can't believe the uh, how much better the beast sticks are than the, the brand he had before. So. If you haven't got you a set of beast stick, sticks, go to huntingbeastgear.com and pick you up some beast sticks. I know the stand, I don't know if it's in stock right now, but I know they're working diligently on trying to, to get those um, um, those stands back in stock for everybody. So keep an eye out for all that. And now let's get into the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Hope everybody's doing good tonight. We got quite a few people on already, so I saw a couple of you messaging uh, on the chats like at 8.15 or something <laughs> earlier, so you guys have been on for a while. Oh, uh, How's it going, Dan? I'm, I'm alive. Yeah. Yep. How's your... Uh, I haven't heard anything about your barn lately. Is it like done now or... It's been on a standstill. I, I just got oh. the, uh, the overhead doors in. They were on uh, back order for the longest time, and... Uh, Got them delivered in, uh, about two, three days ago, and I uh, 
called the uh, called my brother up and said, "Hey, get your crew over here. I got the doors." And he said, "Oh, I thought we had to pick those up." I'm like, "No, they're sitting here. Get over here." <laughs> I don't know when he'll show. He's probably on yeah. a different project, but yeah, well, slow down dramatically. Yeah, the building is up though. It's just got big holes where the doors go. Yeah, well, I saw it in a couple videos or whatever, just glimpses of it. Like you could tell there wasn't any doors on it, but oh, that's cool though. Maybe by uh, by the time scouting season comes around and workshops and stuff, it'll be all done. Yeah, I don't know if I'll get concrete until after that. Now, yeah, I got to get electrical in yet though. I just uh, no hunting's kind of taking a priority. Yeah, right. Yeah, my dad's doing a house right now, and it's uh, that's what he said. We were I was helping him yesterday with some of the stuff, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't know how much I'll get to hunt here in November yet." I'm like, yeah, bad time to be working on stuff. <laughs> oh, well, uh, we kind of got a lot to talk about tonight. We got like, a like three videos to, to kind of go over, <laughs> uh, tonight, but, uh, you had another rough hunt, another, uh, yeah. String of bad luck. Yeah. Uh, I went out, uh, hunting with, uh, my buddy Pete and uh, we went to a spot that he showed me originally uh, many years ago. And uh, he went on one end of the property. I went to the other end. And um, I went to a place I scouted in spring, but I hadn't really been in a lot. Um, and I, I found a funnel of real heavy deer traffic between a doe and buck bedding area. And uh, it just looked like a good spot to set up. So I kind of went in there um, and I found that area. The trouble was it was all buckthorn. And what I remembered from spring is that there was a couple of uh, box elder trees in there that uh, looked like you set up in them. But getting down there now, all the leaves were off of them. And if you set up in there, you'd glow. They were pretty small trees to begin with. So I got in there and it looked like there's a lot of sign. You could see um, where the bucks were going down trails that had, uh, you know, like little caves that went into the thick cover where they'd get their antlers through. And uh, you can see the big tracks and all those little cave trails coming out and fresh tracks and real big. Um, so I knew there was something big running in there. It all looked like the same track and lots of them. Um, so he had to be right around in there. And I really struggled with a setup. Um, and I ended up in a, um, you know, like a, one of those invasive species, what are those, buckthorn tree? Mm-hmm. That was really nasty. I got the stand up about uh, four feet off the ground. Um, but you, you know, you know, that buckthorn is it kills all the, uh, vegetation underneath. Yeah. You could not sit on the ground. Um, but just at four feet off the ground, elevating my feet, I could nestle myself into the, to the trunk with all the thorny branches. And, uh, there's a little natural hole there and, uh, got inside of that tree. And, uh, I know more than got set up and I was doing my intro on the video and I hear something and I look up and there's a buck walking in and I get the camera on the opening and there's an opening. that's going to, you know, walk right by me at uh, 25 yards, maybe even closer, 20, 25, somewhere right in there. And uh, I get the camera on there and I get the bow up and I could have rushed a shot, but I didn't want to wound it after what happened the first time, you know? So I uh, just let him walk and I'm figuring he's just going to keep walking because he's not walking in a direction. I have a shot. Yeah, he's walking into thick cover if he gets through that. So I just let him go, and he starts rubbing all these trees in there and just uh, attacking those trees. And uh, 
then when he got down to like the third tree, he turned and started going like 90 degrees and coming back through. And I'm like, Oh, I have an opening over there, you know, and uh, it looked like he was going to hit that opening. And I had ranged that opening, but I couldn't quite range it because the rangefinder kept picking up stuff before that, like twigs and stuff. And, uh, I figured it was about 30 yards and, uh, I aimed a little high figuring if, um, my arrow didn't really drop, you know, and the deer drops a little, I'd hit spine. Yeah. If it didn't drop, I'd hit the top of the lungs where I was aiming. If it dropped a little, it'd be through the middle of the lungs. I mean, it it was a pretty much slam dunk shot, even, you know, 30 yards. Um, yeah. And you should probably say like, you don't, you, you only have one pin, so you're, you're aiming high with your kind yeah, of your like 20 yard, yard pin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I didn't have time yeah, really to change it. But yeah. uh, uh, I took the shot, and it looked to me, from my point of view, like that arrow just sunk right through right through the vitals. And uh, But what caught me off guard was uh, when the buck ran, I heard the arrow hit brush. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a distinct noise if you've ever heard it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I thought that was odd because the arrow should just zipped right through it. And, uh, I thought, well, maybe I caught the far shoulder and, uh, I was all excited. I thought I, I thought yeah. I blasted that thing. It was a big buck. Yeah. It looked like a nice one. Yeah. So I got down went over there and, uh, got on the track and found no blood and, 10 yards from where I shot him, where I heard the arrow in the brush, my arrow was laying there with the um, broadhead pulled out and uh, about a half inch of blood, if you want to even call it, more like meat Yeah. on the um, arrow. And uh, luckily it was a very soft earth down there, like swampy. Yeah. I was able to just follow his footprints. Um, and he ran about 50 yards and then started walking and just wandering down the trails. And uh, I found three drops of blood total. Mm-hmm. And he had turned around um, and followed this uh, river. And then he J-hooked and spun around and he was watching his back trail. When I walked past him, he, he, he stood up and hopped away and he looked fine. He even looked back at me. Didn't even look like right. he was in. So, um, going over to footage when I got home because I could not figure out what happened. First, I was thinking I shot him in the shoulder, but really in the shoulder, you'd even sink deeper than that. Mm-hmm. You'd sink into the blade a little bit, you know, shoulder blade or whatever. But uh, looking over the footage, the deer dropped and my arrow really didn't drop that much. I dropped about an inch. So aiming high at the top of the lungs, when he dropped, my arrow hit the spine, which I was planning for, I had the spine to the bottom of, you know, the lungs, which is a pretty big area on that nice yeah. broad shot. And I figured if I hit the spine, I got him anyways, cause you're going to break the spine, but that's, you know, um, one in a hundred shot that doesn't break the spine was that shot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's crazy. I I've never seen one hit in the spine and it not, you know, paralyze them. Yeah. Um, now, you know, a lot of people were, uh, I mean, a lot of people are saying you need to use a, a heavier arrow. I'm already using a pretty heavy arrow. You need to use a uh, cut on contact, you know, one bevel broadhead yeah. and stuff. Um, I do kind of like those one bevel broadheads, but as far yeah. as the um, 
the heavy arrow, I wouldn't have been able to shoot 30 yards with a heavy arrow um, without having it right down to the pin because of how far I drop. You know, yeah. 30 yards, I can shoot straight on with my bow pretty much. Right, 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 right. The only reason I was aiming a little high is if I was off on the yardage and it was 35 or something like that. But it was, what? Pretty, it was 30. Yeah. What poundage do you do? You shoot 60 pounds? I shoot 50. You shoot 50. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another thing is like you get a heavy arrow and shoot 50 pounds. It's like kind of a double whammy with your uh, pin gap, if you want to call it. I know you don't yeah. have pins per se. You just got one pin. but Yeah, I, I had a company um, uh, send me a bunch of heavy arrows to try out. Mm-hmm. And stuff. Uh, man, I couldn't do anything with them. You can, after 10 yards, I couldn't shoot nothing with my, my bow. is not heavy enough for that. Yeah. I was... Uh, I'm shooting 70 pounds and I was in Ohio last week. Not a whole lot to talk about with Ohio last week, but I was just there for two days. Um, but yeah, I, I got to thinking like about adjusting my bow down to 65 pounds for this, the cold weather and stuff. Cause I had to, one hunt where I sat on the ground and I was kind of sitting on my butt, you know, and uh, your bow is like twice as hard to pull back whenever you don't have your lower body, you know, engaged or anything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I was like, man, um, I, I kind of like being able to do, uh, you know, it's not a contest of strength. So I like to uh, slowly pull a bull back when a deer is there without a mm -hmm. jerky movement or, you you know what I'm saying? So yeah. 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 Have that lower poundage. No. And this was, this was just because I was in some awkward, like I was sitting on a log that was, you know, on the ground kind of thing, but still, I mean, I still want to be able to, uh, controllably pull my bow back in those scenarios, especially on the ground. You can't, I mean, you can't afford to make some weird movement when you're sitting on the ground, but, um, yeah. Someone asked you had a range, if you had a range finder uh, on the hunt, you did. Yeah. It's hard to like, whenever you're in the, in those tight scenarios, if you haven't hunted down in like those, those swamps like that, it's extremely difficult to range something as a deer's coming in. Um, in a, in a, I, I had tried to range find it before he, he went there. I did see that hole and I did range find it, mm-hmm. but the hole was only six foot round yeah, at 30 yards. And the range finder was picking up stuff to the outsides of the hole. Right. So every time I'd range it, it'd say 20, 19, and it's not 19 or 20. And I know that. Yeah. You, you hit the ground in front of it and it's, you know, it's 27. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's gotta be about 30, you know, so. Right. It is what it is. Right. Um, tough, tough scenario. Um, I was just looking through the comments here. There's some people asking questions, but I think we covered them all right there um, about this particular scenario. But yeah, I, uh, like four years ago, I had a season in a bow season where I wounded two bucks. Uh, mine were both shoulder shots, though, like mm-hmm. dead center of the shoulder that's pretty deflating whenever you shoot one in the shoulder and it just like, like you said, like you could just see the, mm-hmm. the arrow just you know, kind of going like that. It's, it's like, uh, I don't know what causes it, but I go through uh stages like where freak every deer I see just falls over dead. Yep. You know, and you can just, you just can't stop killing them if you want them dead. And then you go into these stages where you can't kill them and they're right there. You know, I don't Oh yeah, I know. I've been, I've, I've probably had two cycles like that. Like I said, one was a few years ago and, um, one was when I was younger, I had a rough season back then too. And it it sucks. You feel like you don't, I mean, you feel, you don't even feel like yourself. It's like, what's going on with me? You know? 
There's a, there's a video on the page uh, from a few years back. I mean, probably like four or five years back where I, uh, I did a video called can't hardly hit them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, well, you got time. Hopefully you're going to. Carol uh, says it's time for me to admit I need glasses. I would agree with her. I don't know if that's your problem or not, but I've, I've seen you look at your phone and whatnot. So, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> glasses are, I work, I work contacts. I can't, I can't shoot without my contacts in. Um, but my problem is I can't, um, like my, with my contacts out, the targets are real blurry, but with my contacts in my pins actually blurry. The glass or the contacts fixes the distance seeing, but makes it a little harder to see close. I can see my pins better without my contacts in. But. If I squeeze my eye in like this, yeah, I can see really good, but I have a hard time doing that while I'm drawing the bowl. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, that's funny. There's a lot of people that wear glasses deer hunting. I've always been worried about, because uh, I used to wear glasses too, or I have glasses I can wear, but I always worry about like the reflection and stuff in my eyes and I don't know. I got, uh, I got uh, free vision insurance at uh, work. They'll even give you free glasses. And yeah. <laughs> go and I pay for it out of my chair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you ought to. It, it really does make a huge difference in the woods. Uh, probably just go get that laser surgery. But that yeah. only lasts like five years and your eyes go back out, ain't it? I don't, I don't know anything about it. I've never looked into it. Mm. Uh, my, my, my eyes aren't like horrible. Um, they're not like. I'm blind or anything, but, um, when I, I, the year I got glasses was me and my cousin were turkey hunting and I guess there was a turkey out in the field strutting and I could not see it. It looked, I don't know what was going on, but he's like, it's right there. You can't see it. I'm like, no, it was, everything was far out was blurry, you know? And I said, I finally, that finally made me go and get, uh, glasses, but so now nah, maybe something to think about. It may, I mean, it may help you more than just hunting too, just life in general, just seeing, um, so, you know, uh, I was cool uh, in the day and I couldn't see my pen. Yeah. Um, I had to go into a shaded area to see it. And I just thought that was really odd. I should have been able to see it just fine. Yep. Yep. And I don't even know. I don't even notice it anymore until I take my contacts out and try to do something I'm like, oh, man, especially driving. Like, whew. when I don't have my contacts in driving. It's I don't like it. Um, but and I'm not even that bad. Anyway, well, you'll come out of it. It just takes one good shot to change everything. Right, tomorrow. Right. <laughs> you guys, I guess it's okay to talk about. You guys are coming down here tomorrow. Yeah. Indiana so, Bond. Yep. Eric and Dan and Brad and Brad, my two buddies, are going to be here too. So that'll probably be. We'll probably do it. Or Brad or Brad. I think do what? Brad's better 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 better. Brad or Brad. Yeah. Brad yeah. is. <laughs> uh it'll be good we'll probably we might as well do a podcast when we're all down here together that'll probably be a pretty good one yeah, uh, uh rick says he's bringing the van i hope he makes it <laughs> <laughs> uh i couldn't tell in some of the comments in that video if uh people really thought he was stuck somewhere in michigan or if they realized that. Yeah, I got some pretty nasty emails about the way I treated them, not going back for them. Uh, yeah, I know. I saw them. Oh, that's funny. Um, 
yeah, he made it to the Battle of the Bows. You guys saw him in that video, so he's all right. He just dehydrated. That's what he told me. Yeah, he drank a monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember how many monsters me and uh, Eric drank? We were a whole bunch of them. Yeah, a yeah. case a day. Yeah, that's a... Case a day between the two of us, the white ones today. I should have told you. I don't know if I told this I don't know if I told this story last uh, on last week's podcast, but I was laying like I was in the middle cot, and then Dan and Eric were to my left and right, and I'm laying there. It's like ten o'clock at night. We're going to bed, like going to bed to get up and hunt the next morning. And I look over, and Eric's like fiddling around underneath his cot, and he pulls out a monster, and he's like finishing his end of his monster at ten o'clock at night <laughs> as we're going to bed. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, he's got a little bit left. I'm like, you drank one of those right before bed? He's like, yeah. Like, My God, guys. And I, I drink energy drinks sometimes, but not like you guys do. My goodness. Oh, I like to drink those five-hour ones. It makes me feel like I'm not, uh, I don't have to pee so much whenever I drink uh, one of those things. But a whole bunch of people are telling you to get glasses, Dan. I, I'm, there's a bunch of people. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what the percentage of the population is that has contacts or glasses but i'm sure it's a high percentage um yep lasik stuff i don't i'm not going to tell you that because i don't know what that's about but anyway cool got another video to talk about that was uh even more controversial than <laughs> you shooting a deer in the spine and not finding it What's uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh you're your uh, your standing up for Lou uh, video you did. It's funny when you read the comments because I'm like, did these people watch the same video I made? Because uh, the comments don't match, especially um, outsider comments. I think people heard things, didn't watch the video, made comments. But uh, in the video, I just basically said John's a great guy. I like him. He's a good hunter, you know. But mm -hmm. uh, that when he said that stealth strips specifically hold scent that's damaging to a company yeah. and and it was damaging to lou um mm -hmm. and he shouldn't have did that and i didn't mean that he he's a you know that i hate him or anything like that i just said he shouldn't have said that um but he was right it does hold scent and i said that yeah i said so does your bowstring so does your your straps on your sticks, so does your straps on your stand, so does your tether, all that stuff. And all that stuff you treat by spraying it down. I mean, just do the same thing with your stealth strips. I mean, that's what the video was about. It wasn't about bashing John or, or whatever. Um, he even yeah. left some uh, long rambling uh, message on my uh, YouTube that had nothing to do with the video. I even wonder if he watched it. Yeah, I think I think everybody just assumed it was about um, scent control, um, and it was more more or less just you standing up for um, for Lou. And I guess to make like as a third party person like that knows you and Lou, like you guys, Lou does not sponsor you or give you money or anything to like people just thought you were standing up for some sponsorship product, and it's like that's not the case at all. Like no, we're just buddies. You, you and Lou been go way back, and yeah, yeah, just friends essentially. Um, that was the only thing that was the only comments that were annoying me was they were just, just saying that he was uh, really upset. I mean, you're talking about, uh, you know, a fellow Michiganer, or, I mean, just, uh, yeah. just singling out his product and he was really not happy about it. 
Yeah, Luke. Luke pretty angry. Luke I, I, me him, I, said, I don't think John meant anything bad about it. I don't think he meant to do that. It's just John. He just, you know, I don't think he uh, really he's realized. Yeah, yeah, that he was going to damage his product or company. I mean, Lou had people calling up wanting to send back the stealth strips and stuff. And yeah, it's like, yeah, he called me about a week ago or more than that now, I guess, and was kind of venting to me about it too. About uh, some some guy called and wanted to return all their stealth strips, and he's like, "Could ask why?" And like, he's like, "Well, John told me that it was, um, it smelled or what or, or held scent, and you know." Um, but, and like you said, it probably does, but, um, oh, well, yeah, it was, I, I, I like watch a lot of John's stuff because he, he's like, uh, dude, the guy kills a ton of deer. He killed a nice eight pointer in Michigan the other day again, you know? Um, and I'm like, I have a lot of respect for him cause he is 70, I think he's 72 or three and like, man, I hope to God, I mean, I hope I can still do what he's doing when I'm 73, you know? Um, that'd be awesome. But, uh, yeah, I wish sometimes I, I think he should, he should give more credit where credit is due though. Like exactly. instead, of, instead of, um, I said uh, that in my, my, my post, I said, uh, I said, uh, uh, John, you're a great hunter. And I think you should give yourself a little more credit instead of claiming that it's all because of a product. Yeah. I, I he himself is a, is a good hunter and that's why he's got some stuff on the wall yeah. and, it ain't really as much about scent lock as possible as he claims. I mean, if it was all scent lock, I mean, I mean, that's just taken away from him. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I think he's probably like one of the, as far as like deer behavior and stuff and then where to set up on deer and stuff, he's probably like one of the best in the business at it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why, you know, why he's so successful and whether his scent lock, I'm sure it, all that stuff, Helps minutely, but I think his credit needs to be to his knowledge and his woodsmanship, you know. And I did hear something. I watched one of his videos the other day, and he mentioned, like, technology kills deer, and that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I'm like, ah, man, John, know it. You know, that's, that's in my opinion, and it's just my opinion. What do I know? You know, I've killed a fraction of what he has, but it's like, that's going the wrong way. Like, you know, it's like, that's that's not the point of it, uh, to me, at least. It's like You know, for me, um, and... I mean, he made a comment about how uh, um, I was uh, like lying to my base. I don't remember the word he used. He used some long word for it, and and uh, telling him that scent control didn't work. And like, it's not a lie. It's just what I believe. I mean, I don't tell you you're lying because you tell people to use scent control, you know. Um, but I do. I am a little biased there because going on to what you're saying about technology. Um, if scent control really worked the way he says it works and you can be completely scent free and not get winded for 19 years, that's not fair. That's that goes beyond fair chase in my opinion, because literally if you could take my scent away, I know I could just sneak right into bedding areas and sneak up on bedded deer and kill them. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I sneak up to them now, you know, with crosswinds and stuff and get really close. If I could sneak up under blindside and come in there on a wet, rainy, windy day, I mean, it wouldn't even be fair. So, I mean, I think that if scent control worked as good as what some people make it out to be, it would be unfair. Yeah. Just, just me. That's yeah. going to probably get me bashed again, but whatever. No, I don't know. I yeah, I don't, 
and who knows, man, he, he kills a lot of deer. So maybe it helps him enough to ma- matter. Uh, yeah, you, sure puts even, a lot- you couldn't hunt the way I, I hunt and use scent control anyways. Yeah. I was, I, I was thinking basket by the time I'm a mile back or through a swamp yeah. or, or whatever. I mean, you're going to oh, wear your yeah. lock into to water that's, you know, belly deep, you know, you know, you can come on. Well, that's what I, in Ohio, this was all going on when I was in Ohio. Uh, and the one morning I had a two mile walk through a, uh, it just rained too. And there was the Creek was Creek bottoms were all wet and stuff. And the rocks were super slippery. I fell like three times walking back in the dark and I was frustrated and I had sweat so much when I got to the stand, I took my clothes off. Like I took my everything off. I was naked from the top up or whatever. And, uh, like I literally could ring my, I ring my undershirt out and I just left it. It was too cold. It was already cold. You know, it was like 35 degrees. And I just left it at the bottom of the, sh- I'm like, I'm not putting that stupid thing back on. I'll freeze to death up here. Uh, but yeah, I was thinking that as I was walking back there, I'm like, there's no way I could do what he does. Yeah. Uh, well, what not- are you doing on a trip? Like when, when we went to Michigan, I mean, there wasn't like yeah. showers and yeah. I mean, I think those guys just don't on the way home like from that, Michigan. You know? I smelled so bad. I had to drive with the windows open. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it wasn't that bad. I was in there. You, you, ate, you ate an apple every day. <laughs> Well, that's why I brushed my teeth. <sighs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I just don't think those guys do that, Dane. I think I don't think they, um, I don't think they put themselves in that situation. You know, I think uh, when they they go out of state, I think they stay in hotels and yeah. There's probably different ways they hunt. I mean, yeah, different. You, you I, know, I don't have any problems with any, any way anybody no. else hunts. It's just that some of them have a problem with the way I hunt. Yeah, I mean, I got I got buddies and stuff that still like. They put all their clothes in totes and I don't have any of them that don't pay attention to the wind at all, but they, you know, they do all that. And, and some of them like swear by it. Um, and a lot of them are killers too. So, um, you know, it's all about what makes you, uh, confident. And that's, I think I'm still convinced, like that's probably like 70% of killing a big deer is just being confident yourself, you know, Believing in it. Yep. And if that takes, if it's uh, washing your clothes and putting them in a tote, that's probably what you ought to do. Um, but anyway, and I went down the, I mean, I went down the scent uh, control path more than once in my life, trying to figure it out and all that. And I just never could. And it's probably more of my personality than anything. You know, I just get tired of doing it kind of thing. And <laughs> like, golly, this is too much work for me. Right. Um, if you spend but, a half an hour before going out getting uh, dressed out of a tote and all that crap you lose a half an hour of hunting i think that half an hour a day of hunting would be better for you than that half an hour you're spending working on your tote yeah yeah probably so my problem was i'd always like after i was done hunting i'd always like get in a hurry and like i want to get home or i got to go do something and then i just end up wearing my crap around anyway Um, so so for me i mean really a hunt for for a, a, a trophy whitetail buck is a one-on-one thing for me, and for my personal uh, outlook of it is is um, it's a it's a game like like a chess mm-hmm. game. It has deadly consequences, but it's still for me it's like this game of, between me and this buck. And for me to take away his sense of smell or sight or something doesn't seem fair. It seems to me like uh, beating that is part of the game. Knowing how to play to win, knowing how to play to thermals, knowing how to how to approach him correctly, knowing how to get around him when the wind's blowing the wrong way, rather than trickery or 
potions or whatever that are going to make your uh, scent go away or make make their vision go away or or jam their nose or or whatever else they got out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. even like calling to deer. I mean, uh, the other day, uh, um, I I had a buck close and I wanted to call to it, and I, I almost felt guilty. It's like, well, you know, then I'm not doing it natural. And don't take that wrong. I got nothing against any of that. And I've called in plenty of them with a grunt call. Yeah. It's just like that there's something to me about putting myself in this exact tree I need to be in for an exact buck, knowing where he lives, where how he's coming out, where he's going to go, and being in the one spot you could possibly be in and kill him. I mean, that, that's the challenge for me. I, I, the bucks I remember the most are the ones where I did everything perfect and he did everything he was supposed to and came from where I thought he was going to go. And those are the ones that are just really feel like a, a badge of honor where if you're just out there tooting on a can or something and something comes running in there for some people that is the hunt. I mean, so oh, yeah. love yeah. to see the, the, the pure adrenaline of a deer charging in with steam coming out of their nostrils. To me, my hunt, that's not it. That's not it. Yeah. And that's not you judging people about how they do it either. No, just, no, you're just, yeah. Just I think, I think people mistake like some of your opinions as judgments. And it's like, that's not, he's just telling you what he likes. You know, or what anybody he else does, I worry about Dan and what yeah. Dan believes and what Dan thinks. And uh, really, I don't care if the guy next to me shoots a crossbow, a rifle, you know, mm-hmm. 16, whether he uses scent control, don't use scent control or anything else. I just care that he's having a good time, has a good sense of humor, and we go kill deer. Yeah. Ah, that's another problem is a lot of people don't have a good sense of humor. So right. <laughs> you, you get a little uh, emotional about some silly things. But uh, anyway, yeah. I don't know. John is a very good hunter, though, and I think we both respect him for that. It's not that – it's nothing um, – wasn't about scent control. It was just – it's just helping Lou out. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Um, not that Lou needs help. It just, it rubbed him the wrong way and rightfully so. So anyway, it was a, it was a fun little, uh, well, not a fun at all for you, a bunch of crappy videos for you, I guess, <laughs> but we got some good ones coming up though over the next couple of, uh, weeks some that hopefully won't be so doom and gloom yeah. um anyway 
there was something else I want to talk to you about before we talk about my buck. Cause I, like I've, I get a dozen messages. Me, do what? It wasn't me. It was Rick. Yeah, no, I get like a, I get, I get probably a dozen messages a day. Uh, either people wanting to ask questions or just whatever. And, uh, this week, for some reason, I've been getting so many messages about scrape hunting and like the proper way of doing that. I was going to see if you could like talk about that for just a mm. short little bit here. Um, you know, yeah, we do have a video on that too, um, on the page somewhere. Um, but for, for me, I think I've been getting that question too. So I don't know if it's the same people that are asking you or, or what, but it has been coming up quite a bit. Maybe just because it's scrape time of the year. Yeah, people are just seeing scrapes in the woods right now, I think. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, in my opinion, um, scrapes are a lot like rubs as they're markers, they're communication markers. So a buck that's making a scrape is either communicating with does or is communicating with bucks. Um, and a lot of people call scrapes primary. Um, and I have used that term too, but I don't kind of see it that way. I see them as like, uh, um, they, they'll put scrapes where, um, where there's does they're interested in, right? And they'll put scrapes where there's uh, where trails can collide, and that's like uh, claiming something, like claiming the area or something. And uh, they'll mark food sources with scrapes. They'll mark bedding areas with scrapes. And uh, I've noticed that uh, the overall majority of scrapes are put down at night. Like probably 90, 95% of them are put down at night. And that's because that's when deer move the most. And that's when they feel the most comfortable, right? So hunting scrapes in general, just to say blanketly hunting scrape lines is probably a bad idea if you're looking for big bucks, in my opinion. But hunting an area that should have big bucks in daylight, like close to their bedding area and finding a scrape there is a good thing. And hunting a scrape that's near the bedding area is the confidence builder of telling you, okay, there's a buck in there and he's coming out and I'm in the right area. And that's one that's probably used in daylight. Now for me, um, the scrapes that have worked out the best for me, um, and I've killed some of my biggest bucks, uh, especially with a bow over the top of scrapes. And in each of those cases, those scrapes were at a union of trails that came out of bedding areas that hold, held multiple bucks. So the bedding areas were like uh, joined, you know, like one buck might be over here and one, one is over here and they're only like 75 or 100 yards apart, but they stage in the same position, going the same direction, like towards food or does or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And where they intersect, they put a scrape. So the scrape will be, you know, 75, 100 yards from, from the bedding, you know, and those two bucks will meet there, right? And uh, I shot the 400-pound slop on a, a, a bed scrape and I, I shot that, uh, that 24 inch wide, uh, 11 pointer over bed scrape. I can say, I can think of a, several others. Um, I can think of one where I went in and shot a big eight pointer on it and then, uh, took my work buddy out there the next day and he came in and, sh and he shot the other buck that was coming in working on it. And sometimes it's even more than two bucks. And a lot of guys will mistakenly call that a, a primary scrape. But I think what, what the definition of a primary scrape is supposed to be one that all these bucks are coming to or whatever. But I think they're going there because of a reason. It's really the original buck laying that scrape down is competing with these other deer for space or for does or for food or, you know, or whatever it be. 
Do you agree with any of that? Yeah, for sure. What, so what, uh, like we were walking around in Wisconsin, Western Wisconsin, there's freaking scrapes everywhere, you know, down mm-hmm. the walking trails, you know, in the woods, right. wherever they're everywhere. What, uh, when you see yeah, a scrape, see a big scrape like that and just first one, he goes, sets a stand up over the top of it. And that, right. and that's why your average guy fails. So what, what would make you set over a scrape then? Like it's um, proximity to bedding. Whether it's doe bedding or buck bedding doesn't proximity to bedding. Right. Yeah. They have to have, they have to have a you know, um, reason to come there at daylight. <laughs> even if I'm hunting a funnel, like during rut, mm-hmm. I'm going to be right between two bedding areas and, and as narrow an area as possible. Um, I noticed that they'll just little small ridges right between two bedding areas. They'll, they'll slip through in daylight, the bigger, older animals. I mean, you'll get a day or two out of the rut or even your biggest animals will go on a runabout, right? Just the other day, I had one day where I picked up this giant tent I hadn't seen before on all my cameras over by Dave's. Never seen him before. Just one day he comes through and spends yeah. the day all over the place. You'll get that. Uh, you know, a, a, a buck will get worked up and go running. And that's what gets guys to just keep hunting these big, wide open funnels and stuff. But literally, they much more often move through little tiny funnels that have a little cover between two bedding areas. And if you slide between those two bedding areas and, um, Usually you can tell the bedding areas by terrain, you know, whether it's um, leeward points that are thick or, or what be it, you know. Um, but uh, you find scrapes in that area, even if they're not right up against the thick, you're in between, it's rut, they're cruising. If it's on the leeward bench, you know, or top third, I'd, I'd probably think about hunting that. Yep. Yep. I think the... Biggest thing is like whenever I tell people, I was like, you got to really think about what's where, where that scrape's located and why that buck would be there in daylight. If you can't, you know, answer those two questions, you probably just need to keep going, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is there any like tips on you can, um, you can give to people on how they can tell how big of a deer it is that's using a scrape or has created a scrape? You know, the track, uh, when they, when they, if they don't leave a track, when they paw, you see a wide space between the uh, paws as they splay out. Mm-hmm. So, um, you, you know, you know, a small buck will just do a couple scratches, but a big buck is as he scratches his paw, paw will spread out, and you'll see a uh, more of a Y shape to the paw as the toes go wider as he's pulling. Mm-hmm. What about like uh, the size of the scrape? Have you ever noticed that? Is there a difference, like a little buck? tinking around making a little basketball size i don't know about that yeah i think sometimes the smaller ones are just bucks that uh are just really worked up they're walking through the woods making one every 10 feet or something you know um um, and a lot of times those are the smaller bucks honestly um but i don't know i've seen some pretty small bucks work some pretty big scrapes scratching all over the place working throwing dirt all over the place and I've watched them do it for several minutes and worked the whole area up. Or, but I've right. heard people say what you're saying, like, "Oh, I found a scrape the size of a car hood." What does that have yeah. to do with the antlers or the buck? Right. The track is the biggest indicator. If you got a track in the scrape, I have seen them too, where the branch above the scrape is up like six feet, and you're like, "Yeah, hmm. you know, that's pretty interesting." And then, then if the branch is say. Um, big around is your thumb and it's broken off at the end yeah it's got 
antler marks on it and stuff that usually gets my attention too i can't say for sure that i can uh positively say i've seen big bucks make that right. sound but uh use common sense something it yeah. takes something big to do something that high up and break the branch up like that right yep no it makes complete sense no a little buck but, could break a branch like that but not six feet off the ground it takes next right. strength and, and big antlers to do them yep no that's good i just I'd gotten multiple questions about scrapes this week and I thought I'm just going to ask Dan on the podcast in that way. Some of the reference instead of, uh, yeah, it's just, it's hard to answer people and messages. You a little credit too. You're, you're a solid hunter. You should have some answers to that too. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I agree with all you and I would, I would echo the same thing. I just, I was asking the question for people more, more or less. Um, yeah, I've killed, uh, two really nice bucks over scrapes. One was on a cornfield edge. I really have had a good luck uh, over the years seeing mature deer. Like, um, if you can find some good scrapes, you know, near a cornfield edge or like where a point comes into a cornfield or something. Um, and another one was the exact same thing. You, uh, there's a, I killed a giant deer. You can't see it back here, but it's over here. It's the back one back there. Uh, he didn't score much, but he like field dressed like 236. Um, it was on a funnel between two bedding areas where there was a scrape. I actually shot him as he was walking out of the scrape. He just made or freshened up or whatever. So, yep. Um, all right. You want to talk about our, uh, my Wisconsin hunt now? The battle I think of the bows. The battle of the bows. Yeah. We're going to try even, to get, even get into that. Um, there were a lot of people when you first came on board, Asked me, why are you bringing this Josh guy on here? Who's this Josh guy? <laughs> and, uh, well, now they know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess so. You're a killer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how many bucks I've killed. I'd have to, like, think about it and count it up. But it's it's getting to be quite a few now. Um, you can't see them all. But I got a whole bunch of European mounts in the back corner over here. There's probably a dozen of them back there. Um so I don't know how many it is that, you know, the Europeans aren't like giants, but they're all over a hundred inches probably. So, uh, yeah, you get on to me often about not talking about how many deer I've killed, mm -hmm. people just see it now. Cause I film it now. So <laughs> I don't have to talk about it as much. Uh, anyway, uh, we're not going to talk like in depth about battle of the bows because I think we're going to have like some of the people that were there hunting with us on eventually here. Um, but I wanted to talk about my specific hunt. So it really, the hunt started the night before me and Dan were driving back from, and we didn't get any of this on video. Freaking, we never get anything, the good stuff on video, you know, but when we do those, we should have a cameraman follow us around. Yeah. At least in the truck. Like we, we don't have to go volunteers. Hunt. Somebody would yeah, want but, them to film for us. It'd be nice to have somebody in the truck and then while we're scouting, like when you're yeah, hunting, exactly. you don't, I mean, I, I can handle that. Like exactly. but that all the other stuff is rough to get all the footage on. It's just uh, hard to even think about filming when we're strategizing. Yeah, we just, and, yeah. Yeah. We're just driving home. We were just driving home from, we weren't even, I wouldn't even say we were strategizing. We were literally just driving back to camp, which was whatever, 10 miles from the mm -hmm. 10 miles from camp. And uh, we were driving come up to this cornfield and we saw some does in the corn cut cornfield. And, uh, we drove maybe another couple hundred yards down the cornfield and a big, big buck crossed in front of us. Um, and I got on my app real quick and 
or, and I was like, oh, that's public that he just ran into. Um, and we kind of just you left know what I was thinking? I was thinking that that thing came down from the oaks into the corn. Mm-hmm. And now it ran across the street down into there. And by daylight, it's going to be back up in the oaks. And yeah. I'm thinking, it's all wide open grass. You're crazy. Yeah. And you're like, I'm going under tomorrow and I'm killing it. <laughs> like, you're nuts, man. Yeah, Rack, crack yourself out. I was wondering about that too. Like I thought about that. I'm like, I wonder if he came across the road and like from the, maybe the left yeah. side of the road was we were driving and he just got freaked out and went the other way, you know, whenever we, yeah, and you know, you know what though, um, in hindsight, um, when I went back with you during daylight mm-hmm. and I looked at how huge that cornfield was, I mean, that was just after dark. There's no way he made it that far from those oaks down to exactly, there. but I couldn't yeah. see that in the darkness when we saw the buck. Yep. Yeah, whenever I got, uh, whenever I got to the, because we, yeah, we, I, I hadn't seen it either until I drove up there to go scouting the next day. When I got there, I got real excited. I was like, oh man, he's he has to be down here. Um, but anyway, um, I hopped out of the uh, the next day midday. I hopped I hopped out down in there, and as soon as I got into the wood line, I could see like a big buck bed. Uh, I kind of went to an area I thought he'd be bedded, you know. Uh, or, or not where he bedded, where he would come out of to go across that field. Um, and as soon as I got in there, I saw a big rub. And I saw like a look like maybe a like a night bed or whatever, just on the edge of the field there before he would go across the road. But um, so as soon as I saw that, I turned around and went and got my stand in my um, my stand in my bow, and I I kind of studied the map for a little bit, probably for like thirty minutes, like trying to figure out like where he would probably bed that and where he would, um, you know, travel and come through and whatnot. And then I found that really nice. There was two oxbows. Um, the river made two oxbows, which if you don't know what that is, we got clips and videos about that too, but it's essentially where the river makes a really sharp bend. Um, and deer like, like them, it's like a point essentially in the river. Um, and the river did that two times. And then those, both those oxbows came out to this little pond that kind of forced the deer into this really narrow area. And I, and, and when I was setting up at the time, I was like, Oh, if he's in these oxbows, he has to come through here. Like he's not going to, cause on the other side of the pond was an open field and everything else. Um, he, I wouldn't think he'd want to go up in there. And he, uh, and I got up in the stand. I didn't say this on video, but I was thinking, and I should have said it on video. But I, when I got up in the stand, I looked over to where he came from, and there was all kinds of thick, nasty stuff out there that I was like, oh, they could, there's deer, could be deer bedding in there, too. And that's where he was bedding. He was actually bedded. He wasn't in the oxbow. He was kind of out in the middle of those fields, um, the river bottom fields, just in a, like a little patch of uh, shrub brush and nasty crap. Um. And he's probably like 150 yards from me, but he, I, I was thinking about this too. Like, I think he, he got up and came to me so fast. And I think it was just cause where he was bedding at, like he was kind of in the open when he got up, you know, he was in, he couldn't see him at all whenever he was laying there, but I've, I've seen him now do this where if they're bedding somewhere where they're kind of out in the open and they get up before daylight, they seem to want to get out of there real quick. And that's kind of what, what he was acting. He, he I saw him get up out of his bed and he was kind of frantically like, like doing like this, you know, a little bit. And he just kind of just made his way to me real quick to get in those oxbows and, and out of sight of, you know, that field he was in. 
Uh, and that's the same thing my buck I killed in Indiana did. You know, when he came out of bedding, he was kind of in a field and he just shuffled over to where I was. Um, I don't know, just to wait to get dark or whatever the case may be. Well, that's uh, much better than them walking slow and you having to steer at them out of that lone little. I scene. know. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and that's another thing is I sit there for probably because I got in really early that that evening and I sat there uh, and contemplated what tree to set in for a long time. Um, because the tree I was in was kind of crappy. Like it was a little bitty dinky tree with a bunch of. Kind of. That was a Dan Infold tree. Yeah. Yeah. I was only two sticks up. Um, but I knew I'm like that. Uh, I almost didn't want to get up in it cause it was just such a pain in the butt to get in. You know, I was like, there's, there has to be another one, but there wasn't, I mean, there was the only one around me. Um, and it was just, I knew I'm like, if, if, if they got to, if there's a deer in here, they have to come through here and I'm, they're going to be within 30 yards of me if they do. Um, and there were some other good trees, like farther back in there a little bit, but then the way the wind was, it would kind of put me at more risk. Uh, specifically it would have been probably would have been, been fine with his scenario where he came from, but it was going to blow out a couple or one of those oxbows if I went up in there farther. So I just set back and, um, yeah, he came, came right down right where I thought the, you know, the trail that, that I thought they would be on. He just was coming the opposite way. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And then I, I kind of take my, I take, take, take pride in being a pretty good shot. And I still don't know what I did. I hit him back though in the liver. Um, and then he acted real weird. He stopped, he, he, I shot him and he like ran this way and he stopped there and he was just like looking around like nothing happened, you know? But I could see the hole in his liver, and I could see it back, you know. And I'm and I sitting there watching him, and I'm trying to get an arrow. And then he finally saw me, and then he blew and ran away uh, with his tail up and everything. Yeah, you seem really nervous about finding him. But uh, I was yeah. Well, if he would have acted like he was liver shot, where he would have like, you know how they will tuck their tail and just walk away like they're sick, I would have been. You know, I'd have been like, oh, yeah, I hit him in the liver. Uh, well, I did hit him in the liver, but I guess I talked to a couple trackers like Shane, Shane Simpson, um, and Steve there. And I was, I was, uh, you know, they kind of were like, yeah, it's, it's pretty common where not common, but it happens where he, you know, you shot him through the liver. You were 20 yards from him when you shot him, it zipped right through him. They probably didn't know what the heck was going on. And they just act- with the hurt, you know? Yeah. And he was just acting like he normally would, you know, uh, and he just blew. And then when he ran off, he probably started being like, Oh, this doesn't feel good. You know? And he literally died. I mean, I, if I, I don't know how I didn't see him, you know, stop and bed down, but I didn't, I thought he just went out of sight. But, uh, and the, th- the thing was too, where, where he laid down after he ran from you. Yeah. Um, I don't think he was dead all that long after when we did find him. I mean, yeah. like probably six hours or something. And if you would have went out that way, which was right directly towards the truck, I think you would have chased that thing for all the way across that cornfield into the private and all that stuff. Yeah. You did everything perfect and backing out. Yep. Yeah. I kind of circled when I, when I left, I circled back, uh, went out a different way just to not to mess with him and then walk down the road back to my vehicle. Um, yep. And he was bedded in like a perfect bedding, like a perfect buck bed too. Like he had this big log to his back, and um, you mean where he died? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he was just watching that back trail. He was set up perfect where we found him dead. Yep. And the um, 
I, I'm, I mean, I wish I'd have smoked him and he'd have died right there, you know, but uh, getting to have that experience of how the dog works a deer was pretty cool. You know, I never gotten to do that. So uh, that was a neat, neat, neat thing to watch. And it was very impressive. I mean, that dog found that thing. And like, once he like got on the track, it was like minutes. He was on it. Yeah. You should put a um, link up for uh, Max's deer recovery. In the- yeah. I'll put it in the, in the description after the video's over or the live's over. But oh. mm-hmm. oh he said, uh, he said he's uh, recovered about uh, 300 deer now. So that's a lot. That's a lot of deer, uh, but those guys that are into that dog recovery or the deer tracking stuff, that's what they, they like to do that. Like St- yeah, Steve he, was Steve, right? Wants to come help me. Yeah. Yeah. Steve. What's it? What was his last name, Dan? I can never remember it. It's kind of a. Uh, when you're uh, asking, you can't think of things. Ah, dang it. This is awful, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. That's what he was telling me. He's like, yeah, I enjoy this just as much. Scott, as deer, honey. Uh, Scott. Or Scott. Yeah. Yeah, Max's deer recovery. Sorry, Scott. Yeah, geez, man. I don't sleep during yeah. hunting season. It's hard exactly. for me. Yeah, yeah. I thought Steve. You know, said, yeah, I have lady. a, I have an excuse. I only met you once. Dan <laughs> doesn't have an excuse. No. <laughs> oh, that's. Yeah, dude, just not a good one. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah, that dog was cool. Good dog too. Um. But yeah, it was a. Uh, like it was. It, it, it would have taken us a lot longer to find that. And then uh, um, Alex in Michigan from Latitude, Alex Chop, that's what he said too. That dog that they had down in Michigan, it took that dog like 15 minutes to track that deer to the point where it took them like four hours the day before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you have the opportunity to use a dog, it's it's well worth it. They ran right through that buck I shot last year. Yeah. Right Yep. Someone is asking here, uh, while we're on the dog tracking thing, do they, do dog trackers, um, charge? I, yeah, they I think, usually, uh, ask, ask for, for a little money for, uh, for coming out there. Yep. Usually not much. I think it's like a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you want to find your deer, I mean, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like some people say some trackers have fees, some don't. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, gas money. There's, I mean, they like they took they take yeah, time out of their tips. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, take it tips. Would be, it would be pretty nasty for somebody not to offer nothing though, because they're taking time out of their day that they could be working or they could be uh, hunting or whatever they're doing. Yeah, yeah, right. And it's it's not to, and a dog like to, to it's a lot of effort to train a dog and feed a dog and all that too. So. It's all cost of money, um, and it's well worth it too if you if you need one. So, uh, anyway, that was the hunt. It was fun. It was um, pretty nice deer too. I think it was at least a three year old. So, I was happy with it. Was, it. it was absolutely for sure the deer that crossed the road in front of us. I remember the little stickers on the on the G twos. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was a nice tall deer, like tall rack, not real wide but tall. Gary, I took it to Gary, my buddy Gary's house, and he said it weighed 205. It's field dressed, so it was a big deer. That was a good one. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'll have the Battle of the Bows Part Two done tomorrow, and it'll be up on the show or on the channel tomorrow night, so everybody can be looking for that. Someone asked why no beard, Dan. Mm. 
you getting full of meat sauce. Oh yeah. I was cracking. Yeah. I was cracking myself up the other uh, night. I was sitting in Ohio. I'd been throwing milkweed up in there, you know, and I didn't realize it, but a bunch of it got like stuck in my beard. Mm-hmm. And I, and then I was sitting there and all of a sudden I like saw something flutter and fly off. I'm like, Oh, I can keep my milkweed in here now. Yeah. That's what I used to do when I had a beard of your size. I used to shove it in there. Yeah. There's a video clip of me uh, in a stand where you don't see it. Cause I got salt and pepper beard, you know? And yeah, I, go, I got my milkweed right here. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny um yeah we're gonna yeah you are you you're coming to indiana tomorrow and i'm gonna go to i'm probably gonna go back to ohio the week after you're you leave so we got a lot of cool stuff coming up hopefully yeah, we get on one. Three and a half. yeah yeah it's right i know you got three now before rut. You got to get one rut too, at least one. I think Ohio is a pretty good place to be during the rut too. Um, I'm going to put the. I should have gave this spill a little, a little bit ago, but if you guys like what we're doing, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Um, and how we do it here, if you're new, is at the end, which is right now, we do a Q and A, and you guys can actually call into the show, which I'm going to put the link to call in in the comments right now and just click on that link and follow the instructions and you'll be on the show. You have to be patient because um, I have to let you in and all that, but uh, you come in and ask your questions, just be respectful and all that. Um, and know you're on camera in front of uh, 314 people right now. So um, let's go up to the top here. Dan, you, uh, someone has, couple people have been asking about the if the tree stands are going to be back in stock. Yeah, they're going out of stock constantly. Um, we're always getting them made, so it's just yep. a matter of uh, being patient. You can get on a, a list. Uh, I thought maybe he was uh, – Mario runs everything, so I thought he was yeah. doing like a pre-orders where you could, you could uh, by popular demand, people were asking for it. I think you can pre-order them now. Um, yeah, I, I think put a couple of bucks down or something. I don't remember exactly yeah. how it works, but uh, I I somebody five bucks. Yeah, something like that. I remember somebody at the uh, event was asking about how to get another stand or something, and uh, I remember Mario telling them that. Yeah, um, it sounded like they were pretty regularly getting them in and making them and then putting them on. Yeah, like once a month or something. Yeah, yeah. It's just, we can't keep up. I mean, the faster mm. we make them, the more they sell. Yep. It'd be a, it's a good problem to have and a bad problem at the same time. Right. (laughs) Um, all right. Here's a good question from TJ. TJ asks, any changes to your rut hunting strategy with the warm week we have ahead of us? Not a lot. Um, yeah, I haven't been hunting all day anyways, but, uh, it's been really hot this week. And uh, most of the bucks I'm seeing are right when I get on stand or uh, my cameras are going crazy at noon. So uh, it doesn't seem to be affecting them here. Um, right now in uh, southern Wisconsin, uh, the bucks are really, really active. Um, and uh, yeah, midday, we're seeing them like crazy and it's hot out. I was in a t-shirt tonight. Yeah. It's pretty, 
pretty nice down here, pretty warm down here too. But uh, I would say they move pretty good in the mornings on uh, hot days because the mornings are still cool because you got that temperature variance that's so extreme from from night to day. Yep, the mornings are pretty good. You ever hunt uh, like water sources in the rut if it's hot? Yeah, I've seen them be very active. I've seen deer stop chasing, go over, get a drink, and then go back to chasing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I've I've kind of seen the same exact thing as because we've we'll have hot weather here in November uh in Indiana, like real hot. So um we have a lot of like cruising down creeks and stuff like that. I've had good luck with uh, hot weather on creeks. Um Scally, Dan, we got a bunch of questions about your broadhead. Are you going to be changing anything on your broadheads next year? I doubt it. Yeah. For me, it's more about uh, precision placement of the broadhead. Uh, hitting that spine and not breaking it has nothing to do with that broadhead, really, because uh, it's just luck. If I used a, a heavy arrow on a heavy broadhead, I would not have been able to shoot that far, precisely. I took into account I could hit that spine. And I did, and it just didn't kill it. That's um, people do it with recurves and stuff all the time. I mean, every bow should break the spine. You have to hit it just right not to. And I just must have hit the spine just right. And he sucked yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You wonder. It's just like you wish you could like have all the answers, right? If, like yeah. just to know. Does it have a piece? I like to use the Montex like you do, but it, they don't fly right out of my setup. I get a little funky yeah. flight. So because yeah. of the, uh, I went with the um, strikers. Yeah. But the strikers, uh, they've done me pretty good. I mean, I, I put one through that adult doe at uh, 20 or 25 yards and stuck it into the ground like six inches. I mean, I had to yank it out of the ground. Um, it's more about hitting the deer right. You don't want to hit shoulders and stuff like that. Right, for sure. I like the Montex because they're that single – single piece of metal and it just gives me the warm and fuzzy feeling of them being a little more durable, but I don't have any, uh, like scientific reason why they would be or wouldn't be or any experience with the strikers. Mm -hmm. So, um, anyway, okay. We got a, we got a call in here. Can you hear us, Mike? Yeah, I sure can. Hey Mike. How's it going? Good, good, good. Uh, Josh, great job, man. You're slam. That's, that's awesome. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. Uh, Dan, I uh, I feel your pain. Everybody, yeah. you know, if you hunt long enough, it happens. Uh, I appreciate that you show it and that, you know, helps everybody else understand no matter who you are, it happens. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that. Uh, I got a couple questions if you got the time. Uh, the first one is, well, first I want to say, uh, uh, I, I don't like, uh, the computer thing at all but i gotta say uh uh it's it's starting to pay off a little bit it's not that i got it figured out but uh uh, uh so uh I, tonight i went in it's country i kind of found brook trout fishing and uh then i looked at it on the maps and uh picked out some spots i thought should be good and uh Tonight I went in early, uh, just scouting, and uh, the leaves have just dropped here. Uh, and it's hard up on the high country; it's hard to really find sign. So I stepped down too close to the to the lowland, 
and was walking along and I bumped two bucks and, and Dan, they're right where you said they'd be. So, uh, uh, I gotta say it's paying off a little bit. I'm not, I'm not there. Got it figured out yet, but it's paying off. So my question is if you, if you bump a buck off an Island or off a point and he's on the edge of the wetland and he crosses it, would you expect him to bed down on the other side of the wetland or would you expect him to cross the other ridge on the other side and bed down uh, on the leeward side of that ridge? It's hard to say for sure, but uh, he's probably going to go to someplace good for bedding, but he's going um, to be worried he's being tracked. So he's going to set up to watch his back trail in some manner. Um, might be at the first good cover. But they don't tend to if it's a if it's a big buck, they don't tend to go long distances. They tend to go short distances. They don't like running through cover. I mean, uh, you know, I think about how many people go out gun season and go into to wooded areas, but yet they don't kill all the big bucks when they you know you know they're kicking them up on opening day. Those bucks get caught off guard when all those people go in there, right? But they're yep. not running through the woods like for a mile getting shot, are they? No, you're right. You know, they just go a short distance and they stay in cover and they try to, you know, get into something good and they go to some place they remember as a security spot. So it might not be right where you last saw him, but I don't think you're going too far, but he is going to be set up really well to watch his back trail. He might um, go over the top to that leeward side, but he's going to be set up to watch the, the, the top. Um, so he might even sit on the windward side if it's uh, if he's got the right ingredients to bed there that he can watch his back trail. What I see pretty often is uh, they will walk. Um, now they don't know the difference between you and themselves and a wolf as far as how you track them because they can't reason, right? So they don't know if you're scent trailing them like they would, you know, right? Or a wolf would. Right. What they do is they, 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 they'll go in a loop, come back around and pretty often they'll watch their trail if they're in thick cover so that you walk past them. That's what my buck did that I shot in the spine. He did a uh, like a, almost a figure eight back around and was watching uh, the trails I walked by. And then when I got past him, he stood up and I turned around, saw him, and he just hopped off. But I see that quite often, especially when I'm uh, snow tracking wounded deer. You see him do that loop back around um, and watch your back trail. Um, that's usually in well, not necessarily thick cover. I've seen him do it in open cover too. But uh, open cover, a lot of times they'll get up high and just really watch that trail. You're going to come in. They're expecting you to follow them if you jumped them out of a bed and right, basically, you know. Got it. Um, also, uh, I hear you say, repeat, you know, quite often uh, uh, your first hunt in, you want to be at that spot where you uh, as closest to bed as you think you can get, uh, you know, and, and still not bump it too hard. Uh, but then there's other videos or other times you talk about uh, you found this sign going in and you can't pass it up. You have to hunt it. Um, I get when you're in new country, I, I understand that part of it, but if you're headed in for a, a bedded area that you're pretty confident on, and then you bump that kind of sign, what's the criteria? How do you, how do you decide? I mean, are you, are you that close to where you think you should have been to begin with? that it's worth making the stop and hunting this fresh sign or is there some something else going on that I'm not quite getting? So are you talking fresh sign other than where I'm intending on going? Um, 
Are you talking about into a staging or, or signer? I'm, I'm not understanding you. Well, I, that's kind of what I'm wondering is if, uh, if I'm, am I missing something in your videos that, that, uh, that I'm not catching when, when you're talking about this, uh, sign that you can't pass up mm -hmm. it's fresh sign uh is I, I guess what i'm asking is are, are you uh are you headed for a bedded area and then you bump bump into this sign that uh is just too good to pass up and you abandon your original plan if that's the way i put it probably yeah um so um, there's different ways I hunt too. I might have a rough area where I'm planning on going and I'm kind of scouting my way and checking a few spots and, uh, don't really intend to hunt there, but if I see something, then I do. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if I am going to a spot and I run into fresh, big tracks going in and out of what is apparently bedding. And maybe some rubs, scrapes, whatever I find, right? If there's a sign that there's a deer doing that now, why would I walk past for a chance that maybe they're doing it at the other spot? I can hunt that other spot tomorrow. So um, I would always opt, unless it's a very bad setup or the wind's wrong or something, to hunt the hot sign when I find it. Another thing is, too, is these deer are really on, on uh, quick patterns, especially this time of the year. You know, um, I've been on on uh, deer bouncing around uh, the last like week and a half, two weeks. Um, and you get on a deer and he'll, he'll show up on a camera for three, four days or something, or you'll see him and you move in for a kill and he's there for a few days checking on his doe. And then who knows where he goes, he's gone. Then you go on the next one, you know, and there's a couple of more, you put them off in the back burner while you're messing around with this one. And by the time you get over there, he's gone. They're only there for a short period of time. You got hot sign, you got to jump on it. And, uh, you, you know, uh, you don't walk past it. If it's, if it's big buck sign and it's, uh, fresh and, uh, you believe it's daylight sign because it's near bedding cover, I would be all over that. Cool. Well, thanks again for what you guys do. Keep it up. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Take care. Yep. Talk to you later. One second here. Lee. Did you uh, have anything to say on that? No, not really. I think it's real hard to, like, for, for me at least, like when you're walking through the woods, it, like so much of what we decide or do just comes from instinct of experience and stuff. So it's always hard to convey, like, what you're thinking at, at that particular moment or, you know, right now when we're talking to people. Um, yeah, that's like a thought on video that you think is yeah. a thought turns into a whole topic of discussion about Dan said this is fact or something, you know. So I gotta watch how I say things too. Yeah, right, um, exactly. But you gotta remember yeah. too, a lot of these hunts that me and you go on, um, probably you even more than me, because I've seen what you have to deal with in those hills. Yeah. Um we might go back a mile, mile and a half on some of these properties, which mm -hmm. some people don't even have that to go. But when so they might not be relating because some places you don't get that far on a property and you run out of land, right? Yeah. But you go back that far and you're bound to run into something on the way. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Obviously. Uh, and I think you deal with that even more than me because you're, you're taking these ridges mm -hmm. back and you're getting, you know, you, you're going to cross 
several areas that look like leeward stuff. And I think out by you, sometimes it's important because most people hunt near the roads. But if you drop through yeah. a drawer or two, you get into the deer. Yep, for sure. All right, we got a couple more call caller inners here. How's it going, Jacob? Hey. Oh, you're on mute, man. I don't know if I got this mic working correctly. You, One second. You do, you do now, man. It is? Okay, sweet. Yep. Hey, um, on that last topic, Dan, this is the first year I've been going back like two miles almost every sit. And, and Josh, I don't know if you relate to this, but like, I feel like on days where I plan to sit all day and I get down and like scout a bit, like in between sits and decide if I want to adjust my setup, you start to learn, like you learn more what more fresh sign looks like and what the sign like means. And that's where you're like developing that instinct. Like, and then that's what's qualifying what is passable or not. Like, is this a scrape line that some immature buck started making in the middle of the night? Or is this something that just popped up this morning while I was sitting on this other ridge? And it kind of like, I felt like that instinct has developed more, just like the more time you're in the woods, you start to understand what each situation looks like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, my question today was, uh, Dan, you said one of the things that you were finding a bit from your trail camera study is that your first sits didn't do as much damage as that you initially thought. I think you said that on one podcast um, mm -hmm. and that you were finding new buck groups phasing into those bedding areas and some repeats, um, even mm -hmm. though you had been in there. Yep. Um, how does that kind of like change your approach to repeat sits? Because sometimes I'll have um, three days in a row an area will be real hot and it'll be, you know, like three or four different bucks coming through in that period of time. And so it'd be like the first time they have an opportunity to cross my scent trail if I get in there like really clean. Mm -hmm. So how would you approach that? Would you just kind of well, hunt if that? I'm seeing, if I'm seeing deer, I ain't backing down on a spot till I'm not seeing deer. So yeah. I might hunt it two or three days in a row. As a matter of fact, I mean, uh, um, just in the last couple of days and a uh, whole new deer I've never seen before popped into Dave's farm. A, a real big 10 pointer yeah and uh he showed up on all the cameras right so i went in there and hunted him and and i got uh, uh an evening a morning and an evening hunt on him and had an interaction with him all three wow. in the same spot so uh um that burnt it out though <laughs> yeah you know, it doesn't take that much, but mm -hmm. you know, if he's not caught on, you, you just keep hunting. Right. And I still mm -hmm. don't think he's on to me. The doughy was right. with, on to me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll pull him away. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Josh? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they, they, um, the, the problem with Dan's trail camera study is there's not a hunter in there. You know, I, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, I don't know. Right. right what, what, you know? what he's saying though is what my statement was that I had hunted a spot and then two days later, a buck shows up there. Yeah. yeah but what do you, what if he, have, day he shows how do you, how, how do you know he wasn't circling your stand or something before? he came yeah, in there true. or something, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I, I can say though, that, um, in spots that I've over hunted and I've hunted them like four or five times or somebody else got in there and hunted, I've watched those stands yeah. burn out and become mm-hmm. ungood for years until yeah. the guy quits hunting it and not doesn't hunt it for a couple, couple of years. And then the deer come back. So, um, human interaction definitely has a negative impact on your hunting oh, yeah. spots, but, um, when you're after a specific animal, you can't not hunt where he's at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you understand that. So I'm yeah. trying to you know, by moving around and not over hunt a spot and ruin it for next year mm-hmm. or, or later this year or whatever. But in the same light, I'm trying to kill a certain yeah. deer. Yeah. So my opinion, I guess my, my opinion is this is like, I think it's always worth a second hunt. And then after that, I'm like, okay, I'm done now. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, I, um, well, this this spot, and now I went in there uh, uh, two nights ago, right? Um, and uh, when I walked in in the evening, uh, I think the buck was already on his feet. He crashed off um, through the swamp. I got in mm-hmm. there, I got set up, and uh, um, later I heard him, I think it was him, grunting in the bedding area. And uh, the, there was a doe in there and I seen the doe, but I didn't see him. And then I heard his antlers on the brush rubbing a tree and there's uh, multiple uh, other bucks um, flying out of there mm-hmm. and a couple of uh, bucks in about the hundred inch range trying to get in there and come flying mm-hmm. out with the tails tucked looking back, but I never seen him, but I seen, mm-hmm. uh, um, I think 17 deer on the first hunt in the evening. Wow. The next morning I seen about six. Wow. And then that evening I saw three. Yeah. Yep. A lot smaller, a lot quick. Yeah. So you can I, see, even though even though I was still onto that buck a little bit, mm-hmm. you see how my my presence really mm-hmm. impacted that spot, right? Yeah, and absolutely. Repeatedly, even on a rut funnel, guys say you can hunt a rut funnel all you want. Your first sit there, you'll see seven, eight deer. And then the next one, maybe you see four. And then the next one you mm-hmm. see two. And then maybe you see mm-hmm. one here, you know, you know, but it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse the more you sit it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I was asking you guys those questions maybe a week or so ago about how you approach these challenges where you scout in and, and, and you're talking about like, you need to find more out about an area, but you don't need to go too far in and, and all that playing that game of too far, but versus what I don't know. Um, 
and I, I started taking the approach of, of the sections I wanted to hunt of this really large property as if I was doing like a mini public land challenge on each of them, where I would find something that qualified it as a good place to hunt. I'd dedicate my time scouting it. And then I would take a day to hunt it, see what's up. I would usually have to move in further and break it down. It was usually by either the, the second hunt, I realized that it wasn't, a, it wasn't what I thought it was, or I needed to go further and then some of my most recent hunts, it was like one day I had to make an adjustment, saw less deer the second day, but I was closer to the right deer. And then the third day, something cool happened. And then it was just like, you had to, you had to learn more about your setup and, and why things are going on. But like, like you said, Josh too, with a trail camera, like your, your perspective is so narrow. Like the day I first sat there, I had a cell cam in the area and I had, I saw probably eight to 10 deer and not a single one was on my cell camera. And like that area was hot, it was blowing up and the cell camera didn't tell me anything about it. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, but thank you very much. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man. Cool. We will talk soon, Jacob. Thanks. Sounds good. See man. man. All right. Let's see here. We got another call in here. Can you hear us, Tim? Yep. Jim. Hey, Josh. Hey. Man. hey. Uh, uh, first off, uh, Josh, uh, awesome job on before the echo it's really growing oh thanks um, man dan thank you for sharing your, your knowledge i've been learning a lot yeah, no problem um so my question is is there's a certain so it's actually to start off i'm kind of new to the whole mobile game i grew up hunting but i did the you know hunting where you park your car in the same general area and you walk to a set stand that i had and i did that for years and obviously you're just hoping and praying that you're going to see something obviously that's the way i grew up hunting but i started getting into the mobile game a couple of years ago so i'm still fairly new to it but what i was going to ask you about is there's a certain um bedding area so um there there's a dam that's by a lake um and there's obviously the dam and you got the river flowing up behind it um and there's a field that's split into like four sections almost got like you got tree lines running through it and last year when I was scouting it before the beginning of last season, I kicked out like a bachelor group of, uh, I think four or five pretty big bucks. And I got them on video too. Um, really big class deer that I've ever seen before. They were betting in the tree line. Um, but I, when I would drive down there through um, like the seasons, you can see that the field is getting hammered with people, you know, a um, bunch of cars parked, you know, I seen a couple of tree stands in those tree lines. So just, kind of going off of what I've always learned, you know, listening to you was kind of stay away from that because that's where the people are going to be. But there's an access road that's going down to the back of the dam that, you know, like workers use and stuff like that. And it's separating the field. Um, the field's right next to that, the river and it's a fast flowing river. There's no way, there's no way deer can walk, you know, walk through it or swim through it. I meant um, it's almost white water. So the deer are on this side, but anyways, the, so you got the, the river, the field and then you got that access road and it's separating this bedding area but it's got power lines running through it so it's got some clear cuts and um uh i scouted it last year and then i scouted it this year in july and i set up a camera in uh inside the bedding area i was running low on time so i set it up over a bed which and i set up a non-cell camera over like a main highway trail but i'm kind of afraid to go in there because i don't want to leave scent over there just to check a camera but the cell camera recently died. Um, but I did get a couple of nice pictures of uh, deer and velvet, you know, like uh, end of July. Um, obviously, that was what, two, 
three months ago. So who knows if that deer is even around anymore. But my question is, is how would you approach, like, would you, would you go into that bedding area? Would you stay on the outskirts of it? Um, because anytime that before, like even when I scouted in the summer, you as soon as you walk in, you can hear deer busting off mm-hmm. and crashing off, you know? So I don't really go into the bedding areas when I hunt. Mm-hmm. I sit on the outskirts. What, what my rule is, is I get as close as I can get without them hearing me, smelling me, or seeing me. I get right up to the edge of that, and that's where I set up. And wherever that puts me, that's where it puts me. But that's where I want to be. Whatever you have for an exit trail, hopefully you get within 100 yards. That's pretty golden that they'll get that far. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can't, you can stay back further than that, too. Um, uh, one thing I would caution on is is um, they might be bedding there in July and not now. I mean, bedding areas have time frames when, when deer use them. Um, I wouldn't put all my eggs in the one basket. I'd go take a hunt at it, and if you don't get nothing, that's fine. Um, move on to the next one, move on to the next one, and just try to figure it out. Those bucks are living right there someplace, right around that, yep. that field. And it's going to be a place where all those people are overlooking. So it's going to be someplace that they're missing. They're missing the uh, the whole you know, concept of where they're at. So there's some place there that's overlooked that has bedding cover that they're missing, whether it's in a corner by the road or by the dam or, or where. Um, and there's probably more than one place like that. But uh, I would throw hunts at that stuff and just hop all over that as much as I could and spread myself out until I, I get action. And then I'd narrow that action in and focus in on an area. If you if you do think they're in there and you hop from one side, you don't see something, try a different angle. Maybe they're coming out this way or that way, despite, mm-hmm. uh, despite the sign, because you might be looking at sign from last week and this week they're over here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they're definitely hiding somewhere because last year, last season, I had a camera set up on the edge of the field um kind of like where where they would be coming out of a bedding area and as soon as the sun would go down within 30 minutes an hour i mean there's like really good sized bucks on camera in that field as soon as the people would leave so they're coming from so i assume they're coming somewhere close you know correct yeah and it shouldn't be too hard to figure out if you just take a uh, an area and, and probably go like a, you know um 40 50 acres and put those fields in the middle of it and then cross out everything that you think people get into. Hmm. There's very little left, and that's where your deer are. And you just but have to throw some hunts at that stuff. It's it's actually really small. I think the field is only like maybe 200 acres, maybe more. And the bedding area is across from it. That's actually public. Besides, there's some private spots, but most of it's government land. Mm-hmm. Um, like the the one where I got the pictures of really big deer at the bedding area. I mean, it's only like three or five acres. Like, it's tiny. It's like a tiny little pocket of woods and it did have some water in there before and but not obviously it's been so dry this year that when i was in there in july it was all dried up but um i seen a couple beds in there and i just i don't know if they're maybe using that in the summer or if they're there i mean if they were there last year coming out in the field yeah you know as soon as it was getting dark during season you know mid-october and then i assume that they're probably still there. I mean, would you think? I'd be throwing some hunts, hunts at it, but you got to think about the the trails that are coming in and out of there, not hunting in there. Like you yeah. said, you walk in or you're just going to blow them out. You got to look at the exits coming out of there. 
one last question do you think it affects it if it's a big ridge system because those little pockets of trees it's on a giant ridge going down into that field separated by that access road do you think the ridge has any effect on it make it harder to hunt you know thermal... uh, it can because you're going to get uh both a thermal effect and a wind effect so you're going to have two different winds to deal with mm-hmm. when it's calm the wind's going to go one direction and when it's windy, it's going to go another because the calm wind is actually going to get thermal. Yep. So you're either going to have, you might even have three. You might have a thermal uh, drop when you get there and a thermal rise as the day goes on and you have a wind direction going a different different way. So um, playing the winds correctly is going to be um, uh, one thing you really got to take into to account. And uh, I want to make sure my wind is not blowing to their bedding area anytime I'm in my tree. Yeah, but my setups are usually um, to take advantage of the um, what the thermal is going to be doing at the time the deer come out. So it okay. might be a little bit different than what it is when you uh, set up, right? Okay, I'll keep that in mind. That's pretty good advice. Yeah, I was going to say you asked a question about your trail camera in the bedding area. If you should yeah. check it earlier, I'd probably just forget about the regular SD card camera. Um, for a it's, while it's, or 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 at least like hunt, hunt that spot a couple of times and then you can go check it out of your curiosity or something you know yeah. um yeah if you're, if you're planning on hunting and i probably wouldn't mess with the camera if it's in the bed yeah that's the thing it's that's why i'm afraid to go in there and look it because i know it's an overlooked spot that people are not hunting mm-hmm. so patience you'll get a hold of that camera soon enough yeah i know <laughs> you can go get it when you're going back there to fetch that dead buck yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I, I mean, the cell camera's dead, but I haven't touched it. And there's a regular camera in there that I haven't seen, but I'll, I'd like to see what's on there. But I don't want to awesome. go in there. Thanks, All right, man. guys. Appreciate it. Thank yep. you. Thanks. All right. We got a couple more callers, and we'll have to hop off here. We've been on here for about an hour and a half. So, uh, Seth, I don't know if he can hear us or anything because he didn't have a video. Can you hear us, Seth? Yes, sir. I can hear you. I, uh, no. I don't have a camera on this on this particular laptop, but you're good, man. We can hear you loud and clear. All right. Hey, Dan, I appreciate what y'all do, man. I really enjoy the the podcast and uh, all the work that you guys are doing. I've been following you guys for a while. Um, I'm down in East Texas. Uh, don't don't hear a lot about us down here. We even even when we talk about the South, people kind of stop at Louisiana. But uh, <laughs> the last three or four years, uh, Dan and Josh, I've Dan learned a lot from you and just letting you know, even your tactics up North, your swamp tactics, um, diving in, really doing your scouting. A lot of that even works way down here, 1800 miles away. So, um, we got a couple of national forests around here. Uh, it's real flat, just big woods, low deer density, but, uh, there's some good bucks to be found and, and, and it, and it works. Uh, so my question is, um, your recent video really kind of hit home with me about the struggles um, coming through the adversity and everything. And I can kind of, you know, maybe expect what I guess I'm looking for somebody else to kind of tell me that it's going to get better, but I've only killed about 10 deer with my bow. Um, But I started out on the lease, kind of changing up my tactics, getting a lot more mobile about three or four years ago. So I'm really, I feel like I'm getting into that, time period where it's really starting to pay off it's really taken me about three years to to figure it out mm-hmm. uh, and apply it to the national forest and i've gone from 
you know, maybe a mature buck encounter every three years or so to one or two every year. But I'm having a lot of trouble kind of the way I categorize myself, kind of gone into that phase of trying to figure out how to execute in those final seconds. And mm-hmm. I've blown the last three um, encounters with really nice bucks. All three would have been my biggest bow buck ever. Probably two were Pope and Young and uh, one doe and one just happened just a few days ago. And it's a little bit of a combination of target panic, I think, and maybe a little lack of experience, but I don't really know what to do as far as I don't step backwards and go, you know, say I'm not going to hunt mature bucks because I'm just figuring it out and it's getting exciting and I'm putting in the work and I'm finding these deer, but I don't, I don't, every time you mess one up, it's like the anxiety builds and I don't really know how to come off of that. Cause I'm just thinking about the next encounter. If I'm going to, how I'm going to come off of that panic and not screw the next one up and I'm not really sure where to go from, from there. But uh, I, I was curious if you experienced anything like that when you were younger and you too, Josh, uh, and I know you guys maybe killed a lot more deer before you started hunting mature deer, but I'm not really sure where to take it from here. Yeah, that's uh, a growing pain that'll go on for forever, but you're going to constantly get better. And uh, that's part of the growing. Um, what you got to do is you got to analyze every one of those hunts and see and tell yourself what went wrong, what went right and how to fix it and continually try to improve. If you dwell on it and you do nothing and you just call it bad luck, that's where you have problems. Everything happens for a reason and you have to analyze it and say, well, what happened here? What can I do about it to prevent it? And every time that something like that happens, you grow as a hunter. Uh, At least that's my opinion. What do you think, Josh? Are you, uh, oh yeah, for sure. But are, are you struggling with like, um, like missing deer or are you just trying to struggle getting a shot off Seth? Um, sometimes it's literally struggling, um, just to get the shot off last year. Um, yeah, I just, uh, got my bow hung up. It was just like one trend, one limb that I missed that I didn't pin pull back out of the way. I couldn't, uh, cause we can't trim anything. So I had it you know, zip tied up, but, uh, caught my broadhead on it. He just heard the, my arrow bounce and left. And then yeah. just the other day he came in right at dark just a few days ago, um, enough shooting light. But, um, I mean, with my naked eye, like when I drew, I was like, this deer's about to be dead. And then but like, for some reason, like I, I felt like I couldn't get a sight picture. Like my peep sight yeah. was blurry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, and I was just like, then, then I started to panic. I'm like, I'm about to mess this up. And like, it just felt like my whole sight picture was blurry. And I was I couldn't even figure out why I couldn't even get the deer in there, you know, and he's just, yeah. the next thing you know, he's gone. And so there's a, uh, there's something I want to recommend to you. Cause I did it, uh, been a while ago now when I started shooting a trad bow, but, um, there's a guy named Joel Turner. He has a class called shot IQ and the Joel, what he does for a living is he trains, military and police officers, how to shoot under pressure is what his like real job is. And he's, he's transformed into like, um, hunting and, and target shooters as well. Now he has like a, a class and he does a really good job of like breaking you down mentally and, and giving you, um, instructions on how to keep yourself composed during those moments. And I mean, obviously you're, you're not shooting people like 
people in war and police officers are like, that's what he specializes in is getting their mind right to execute a good shot whenever it matters the most, obviously way more important than what we're screwing around with deer on, but it's called shot IQ. It's super cheap. It's not very, it's not expensive, um, but it's online and stuff. It helped me a lot, man. Like just getting a good shot process down and, and what to think about while you're under pressure instead of, Instead of letting your emotions take over, it's like gives you a, a process to go through whenever you're getting ready to shoot something. And it's good. Right. And I, during, I mean, during the off season, I tried to do some 3D tournaments. I tried to do some competition stuff yeah. just to create, at least mimic it in the best way I could. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little hog hunting, but there's just something about the deer. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that, uh, I, I probably did a bad job of explaining what he, the, the class is about, but it's, it's literally breaking your mind down to to think differently whenever an animal is coming in instead of losing your crap, essentially, you know? <laughs> so, right. Right. Um, and he has, like I said, he's not, he's not some Joe blow guy. It's he's actually, that's what his jo- real job is, is training police officers. So he kind of knows what he's talking about, but I would recommend it. It's a good, good thing to try at least. Um, yeah, I, t- I appreciate y'all uh, taking my call. Like I said, Dan, it's a, yep. uh, it's really cool to, you know, it's not the same, but, I think if I, you know, listening to you over the years, thinking, taking the concepts themselves and applying them, uh, you know, down here in different terrains and just the thought processes, not the, not what you're actually doing, but uh, the process, it's, it's pretty cool uh, how it changes your, your hunting game. And it's a lot more fun to get those encounters and yeah, even from way down here. So I appreciate it and uh, appreciate you guys taking my call. Thanks, Seth. Thanks. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck, man. Um, let's do one more call and we got one more and then we'll get off here, everybody. Can you hear us, Brandon? Hey, Brandon. hey what's going on, guys? How you guys doing? Good. How are you, man? Let me get my uh, let me get my camera going here. I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. Um, I just kind of want to get your guys' opinion on something. So something I kind of ran into last year was uh, I found these doe bedding areas and they weren't really marked up that much, but uh. They were very high stem count areas. Now, I knew during the rut, obviously, I was looking for does, but I was a little concerned because it wasn't marked up that much, but there was so much sign. There were a lot of droppings. And I figured, man, these bucks really got to be in here coming the rut. And uh, it turned out to be this year. I mean, I'm uh, today I saw a lot of bucks, but the sign was very sparse. Have you guys ever seen that? Yeah, I've, I've seen areas that have really good buck activity that don't have a lot of sign. It can be the types of trees there are. Um, it could be a lot of things. Um, you know, there wasn't really a lot of sign in the spot. I've, I've been the last couple of days, but there's bucks everywhere. <laughs> I saw 17 deer, you know, and there's a doe in heat, and it's a spot that's a really good spot every year. Not a lot of sign. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. More, more terrain base and what's going on there. Um, there's probably some good sign coming in and out of there from a distance, but when you actually got in there, it's not that great. Um, you got to be able to just figure out that uh, it's dope bedding. There's going to be bucks there. Yeah, yeah. So I was seeing, I was seeing a lot of the sign by the ag fields, and uh, new bucks are in there. But man, when I looked at it the winter, you know, I was just looking at it. I knew it was just going to be good dough bedding, and bucks should be in the area. And then, sure enough, I mean, they were just in there like crazy. I mean, it, it was just wild to me because you know we're always talking about sign and seeing the scrapes and seeing the rubs and you know I, I just wasn't seeing that in the winter but had to believe that the bucks are getting in there so i just want to know if you guys have ever seen that before you can get the opposite effect too i mean you can get uh 
like where there's a couple does bedding uh, near a bunch of like uh, poplar trees. Mm -hmm. Like the rub poplar trees, they'll rip up every freak, freaking tree and it'll look like there's a million bucks there. Right. You know, so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can get the opposite too. Sure. Why do you, is that poplar trees in particular? Yeah, they love those things. I don't know what it is about it. but Aren't they really, really hard to rub? The smooth bark ones? No. No, no, I thought they were harder wood. Oh, whatever. Anyways, uh, I just had one more question. Yeah. What do you guys see with movement during the rut and the rain? Uh, light rain, they move really good. Okay. It's pouring, I don't see as much action. Okay. All right. No, I'm good, Josh. Yeah, it's the same. Uh, I don't set very often in the pouring rain just because we have camera gear and stuff. But, man, if you can get out there in like a misty drizzled kind of nasty day it can be a good good set uh, i did kill a, a really big uh buck one time in a thunderstorm that was nasty but uh that's the exception is it the one where you got real sick and went to go look for it the next day <laughs> yeah uh when, when do you when do you guys uh stop seeing the buck sign really start tapering off you guys see it when really does are starting to come Coming to heat, do you guys see that really start to taper off a lot of the rubbing, a lot of the scrapes? Mm, yeah, I still see it then. Um, I think the most rubbing and scraping I see is like right now before right. they're actually breeding. Um, but during the breeding season, uh, lockdowns, period, 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 all the way all the way into uh, early December, I, I see steady rubs and stuff popping up here, there, scrapes popping up here and there, all the way into second rut, you know. Sure. Okay. Cool. Well, yeah, I guess. You'll see bursts too. You'll see bursts of it, you know, where all of a sudden in an area, just an isolated area, just because uh, of a phase of does in or whatever. Sure. If a buck comes loose and he's frustrated or whatever and right. just going wild. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Awesome, well, man. Yeah. That's, that's all I got for you, boys. Thanks a lot for doing what you do. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks for having me, all right, let's see here. I want to answer this one question, Dan, because it's a kind of a good question. Um, I know we've never had it on the podcast here, and it's it's just the bottom one. That's the only reason I saw it, guys. So I, I know we didn't get a lot. We didn't get to a lot of the questions in the Q and A tonight, but um, Goomer twenty two he asked, has has anyone ever done quota hunts, and do you approach them, you know, differently, knowing many other hunters will be in that in that area. You ever done any quota hunts, Dan, where you get it drawn for an area and you got like a pile of guys going into an area for one day? I have, but um, quota hunts that I've hunted are usually just a few guys, like one or two. Um, but I've drawn oh, really? drawn quota hunts. So some of the um, conservatives, conservancies I hunt are like that. They're, you know, quota as in the limited draw, right? Yep. Okay, so yeah, I've, I'm, yeah. I mean, here in Indiana, we have like a few of them where there's, they they let a lot of people in at once, like in a day. It's uh, it can be yeah, pretty our, rough. Our quota hunts are usually, uh, you know, two to four people. I mean, a conservancy. I was hunting uh, back in most of those videos I did from the conservancy. That one, uh, uh, each person got their own forty, um, and then there was one property that was like hundred and twenty, and they allowed two. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, that's not bad. But uh, some of them that I've hunted have four people. Um, I know that uh, Dave Greenhorn, um, yeah. he, he hunts a lot of quota properties. 
and uh, he's usually on there with three or four people, two or three. Um, they can be pretty good. Um, how, how we approach them or how I approach them is pretty much like we do our a, uh, a uh, breakdown hunt where we go out of state or whatever. I go, mm. I map them out. Usually you can't pre-scout them. Um, so I, I map them out, look at a map real well, figure out where I think they're betting and stuff. Um, figure out where, what I think's going on. And, um, then I go in with a pre-plan and then uh, when I hit it and I see stuff different, I alter my plan based on what I see. It's pretty much no different than what we do on our, our trips to Western Wisconsin, Michigan, or Indiana or wherever I'm headed or you're headed. You're yeah. you Ohio this week. Yeah. 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 We got uh, a particular area around here where they have a muzzleloader hunt at the end of the year. Um, and they seem to let an awful lot of people in there and it's a place I can, you can hunt, you can bow hunt it and stuff. But, uh, so you can see, you, I know if you know the area, well, you can get into some areas where it's, um, you know, get away from a, f- a few people or know some areas where people aren't going to be. Um, I think if you could pre-scout those areas, that'd be a pretty big advantage. Uh, but so you're talking quarter with a gun. Yeah. They, yeah. We got, we got hunts in Indiana. There's a few of them down here in Southern Indiana, at least where you can, um, you just get, you get picked a day. Like you'll go in there November 14th, your day, and you can go in with a gun, but there can be a lot of people in there. I mean, they let quite a few people, like we have some military bases and stuff where they do that. Um, people kill big deer. I mean, every year it seems like some, a couple people kill big deer on those quota hunts, but well, that's a good point that, uh, Fort McCoy was kind of like a quota hunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Portions of it are right. I think yeah, there's a limited yeah. number of people who get a tag for bow, but the, the gun hunting seemed to be quota hunting. Mm-hmm. Yep. In the middle of the fort, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Charlie Swamp. You remember Charlie Swamp, right? Yep. That's that's a place where uh, they do a quota hunt for a muzzleloader during December. Mm-hmm. But they they let a lot of people in there, man. There's a, I mean, there's a truck parked in, everywhere in there. So anyway. Good question. So, all right, everybody, we're going to hop off here. There's quite a few people on tonight. So don't forget to hit the subscribe button and like the the video. It really helps out. And leave a comment uh, if you're just watching this afterwards, too, on the YouTube video itself. So thanks, everybody. everybody. Yeah, good luck. Oh, we'll probably do another one this week. Well, in the next few days, because Dan's going to be at my house. So we'll just do one together and maybe get the other guys that are going to be here on and chit chat. Uh, about probably nothing, but it'll be fun at least. So. <laughs> All right, everybody, have a good night. Good luck hunting this week. See ya.